As I see the little ones back there, my son not standing in line like he's supposed to, uh, let you know that our we have children's church from nursery all the way up through second grade. So if you've got a little one that falls in those parameters, we would invite them to head out in the back as they are out the door. As I often say, the rest of you, dear souls, are stuck with me. And so let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 1 as we continue on in our study of the book of Acts. And we are going to be here for quite some time. It may go a little bit quicker than you think because there's going to be a lot of Sundays where we'll be addressing a pretty large portion of the passage because we want to take that whole episode, that whole that whole event and, and look at it its entirety. And uh, But for right now, we've still got a fairly reasonable amount of verses to read together. We're going to be reading Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 4 and read through to verse 11. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Word of God says this, it says, While he, and this is Jesus, was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, You have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up, and they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While, they were, while he was going, they were gazing into the heavens, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Please be seated. Who remembers doing group projects when they were in school? Maybe it was, thank you, thank you. Uh, maybe it was elementary school, maybe high school, maybe you even did some in college where you had to get together and, and do those things. And, and I know a lot of people, when you kind of say the word group project, they kind of shrug, or at least with like my kids. Um, and I've noticed a lot of the younger generations, when they say group project, there's kind of that, uh, Eli, do you get excited about group projects? Not particularly. Eli says, I don't get excited about school at all. This is a moot question. And a lot of people hated them, but I always, and, and I'm one of those weird guys that I always kind of liked group projects, and probably because I'm kind of the extrovert's extrovert, so it's like, what, sit at a table and talk to people? I'm in. And you would get, and one of the other things I liked about uh, group projects is, is that a lot of times in a group project, you were doing something a little bit bigger, and everybody got to bring their skills to the table, especially if you had a good group, Right? If there was that good group of people and, and like I, I'm pretty good at organization, I'm pretty good at kind of putting things in a logical way um, so that I can kind of, you can communicate it well, I'm, I'm good at that, but I can't draw for anything. And so if it was a group project that needed to look good, I'm out. It didn't matter if I was a third grader, it didn't matter if I was a 12th grader, it didn't matter if I was going for um, my bachelor. If it had to look good, it still looked like a third grader did it. I never got good at that. 
And so when I got to do like a group project, one of the things I liked is to have those people that maybe were more, artist, more artistic and more aesthetic, and they could come in and I could help with the information and the research, but they could help in all those other things. And my talents could shine in one way, or maybe their talents, they might have a weakness, and, and their talents could shine in another way where I might have a weakness. But I think we all can agree that sometimes group projects don't work too well. And sometimes a group can really become not very effective. And a lot of times that is because there may be that one person in the group or maybe several people in the group who don't do their work. In fact, instead of doing their work, they become overly focused on everybody else's work. They're the busybodies of the group. And while they don't, they don't do their job, they're overly concerned about what other people's jobs are. And because of that, the project becomes hindered and slowed down and frustrated and ultimately not as good as it could be because there's this busybody, micromanaging, self-proclaimed supervisor in the group. In fact, if I'm honest, I imagine some of us, if we work in a, in a field that has a lot of people working together, maybe that's a factory, maybe that's uh, working in um, a bank or, or even as, as a teacher, a lot of times we might have that person that wants to, tell everybody, wants to tell everybody else how to do their job, but doesn't necessarily do their own job. This guy or this girl may always be over your shoulder, asking questions, messing with your work, going over your work when you're done, and does just basically everything they they want to do except what they are supposed to do. I hear my wife talk about people like this in, in the school system. I've heard, my, I've heard my kids talk about this in high school and middle school. I'm even reminded of my own time working in a bank when there was people that were constantly over my shoulder telling me what to do and yet weren't doing what they were hired to do to begin with. And if you're anything like me, you probably eventually get frustrated and, and finally look at that person and say, why don't you go do your own job? Let me do mine. You do your job. I have this job. You go do your job. Sometimes these people might have the best intentions. They might even when you say that, like, hey, why don't you worry about your work? They might go, hey, I was just trying to help. And maybe they were, maybe they really were trying to help. Maybe they had the best intentions, but they weren't focused on the work that they had and what they were supposed to be doing. And as I look at this passage in the book of Acts, I cannot help but wonder if there was a little bit of that idea going on in our passage today. Because we are, we are coming to the, the end of, of Jesus' time on this earth. He was about to ascend into heaven and, and release the apostles and release the church out to do the work that he had prepared for them, but out to do the work that he had intended for them. And yet what we see, at least at the beginning of this passage, is they are more concerned about his work and what he should be doing than what he has been teaching them and training them to do. <coughs> now to be sure... I think their intentions were good, but I think they just wanted to know what was going to happen next. What's the next thing? What are you going to do next? And they, they wanted to, to be sure that, that Jesus was doing his job and they were wanting maybe a certain job, but it wasn't necessarily the job that God had intended to them for them. 
And so they, and we today, have to make sure that we are setting about to do the work that God has set before us and not maybe necessarily the work that we wish God would set before us. Let me explain this a little bit. So let's begin by, let's look at what, what's going on here at the beginning of our passage, because we have this moment where Jesus is, is, is interacting with his people. As we mentioned last week, he has been appearing to his disciples. He has been teaching them. He has been training them over the, the course of 40 days. They said literally hundreds and hundreds of people have seen Jesus. They've interacted with Jesus. They have been there for Jesus' teachings. And, and we come to kind of what, what we can kind of assume is this kind of last interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has instructed his disciples to remain in Jerusalem until they receive the promise, which they should have understood to be in the Holy Spirit. He'd been talking about it previously, even in our passage, he's mentioning these kind of these 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 descriptions of the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water, but I'm baptizing you with fire, which is is, is, an, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is literally telling them, in fact, the way the, the, the original language is, is kind of presented, he's saying, he's not necessarily saying stay in Jerusalem. He's saying don't leave Jerusalem. He says, don't depart from Jerusalem anymore. And if we kind of think about it over the course of the last 40 days, as we look at the Gospels and all the resurrection accounts, they've been in, they've been in Galilee, they've been in Jerusalem, they've kind of been all over the place, they've gone back and forth, and Jesus has been with them and showing up all, the, all over the place. And now, right before Pentecost, about 10 days, a few days before Pentecost, they are in Jerusalem. Okay, so that's our scene. And at this point, Jesus is with them and he's saying, don't leave anymore. Don't go back to don't go back to Galilee. Don't go back to Capernaum or anything like that. I want you to stay in Jerusalem. Don't depart from Jerusalem until you've gotten the Holy Spirit. Then you can then you're released. Then you can go do whatever it is that that God has put on your heart. But for right now, I need you to stay here until you receive the Holy Spirit. But the disciples divert that statement to ask him a question. And that's the question of, is it? This time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And, and a lot of times we might look at this. In fact, uh, in fact, Chris even texted me this week and be like, what's up with this? And a lot of us might look at that and say, you knuckleheads. Why, why are you still hung up on this? Why are you still hung up on God restoring the kingdom to Israel? Why are you still hung up on this idea of a nationalistic Israel and, and not the, the great commission that, that he gave you in Matthew 28 and in, in Luke and, and in Mark 16? And why are you focused on this and not that? And it really wouldn't have been as off base as you think because there had been, they had been taught for years and years and years, this, this, this idea that the day of the Lord, which was supposedly this day that God came in, that, that the Lord came in and set everything right, was associated with this idea of the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, being falling heavy and being highly involved in the whole event. And so even with the promise of saying, okay, don't leave again until you get the Holy Spirit, they're thinking Holy Spirit means day of the Lord. Day of the Lord means, means Christ is restoring or, or God is restoring the kingdom. We even see that in Scripture. In Joel chapter 3, I want to read for you Joel 3 verses 28 through 32. It says this, it says, After this, I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. 
You will even, I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as the day of the Lord promised among the survivors that the Lord calls. And so for them, they, they lump that idea of, of there being uh, an escape from Mount Zion and Jerusalem with Israel and, and this promise of the survivors of the Lord. And there's this idea that the day of the Lord is going to come. The spirit is going to be there. The day of the Lord is going to come and, and that Israel is going to be preserved. The nation of Israel, specifically the people of Israel, and God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. That's the mindset. That's, what they, that's how they interpreted that passage. Because they didn't see it as, as a couple things coming together, but they saw it as one solid event. And so with this promise of the Holy Spirit, their mindset was immediately taken to Jesus is about to fix everything. And we are going to get to rule alongside him in this spirit. To be sure, they had already kind of been told a little bit about this gig and about what was going to happen from Jesus' own mouth in Matthew 19, 28. Matthew 19, 28, it says this, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on this glorious throne, you, will be, uh, uh, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And make no mistake, that's the job the disciples wanted. Does that make sense? When you think about it for a second, if, if we can pick a job in the kingdom, we want that job to be sitting on a throne judging people. You may say it's not, but it probably is. And that's certainly what the apostles wanted. They thought, okay, the Holy Spirit's coming. We're going to get our thrones. We're going to judge people. We're going to sit there and tell people right from wrong. We're going to be head, head honchos. We're going to be in charge. This is going to be great. And so when they see said, don't leave again till the spirit comes, they're like, <laughs> throne time. I didn't walk all over Galilee and Judea. Oh, I'm hitting the microphone. I didn't walk all over Galilee and Judea, sleeping on rocks and getting all stinky and my feet getting all wore out. Now comes the payoff. And so they're looking like, Jesus, now? Now do I get the payoff? That's the job I want. Is that finally going to be the job I get? Nope. Wasn't time for that job yet. In fact, let's look at the job that they were given. In fact, I would dare say that this is also the job that we are given. We look at our passage again and it says, he says, so when they came together, he said, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel this time? Is it throne time? And he, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the father has set before his own, by his own authority. But you, here's the task, you will receive from the Holy Spirit what has come, uh, when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. 
See, Jesus quickly dismisses their speculation and their misconceptions and instructs them to what he actually wants them to do. He corrects their understanding of the kingdom of God in regarding, um, regarding them that, they would not, that, that this kingdom is not just about Israel, but it is supposed to extend to the ends of the earth. We actually get this in Scripture. It's not new. Isaiah 49.6 says, help us to understand, or excuse me, Isaiah 49.6 helps us understand that the day of Lord is actually salvation for all people when it says it is not enough for you to be my servant raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel but I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth I do not think it's an accident that when Jesus is speaking to them and giving them the great commission that we find in Acts 1 8 that he says that you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth And that is a direct reference to what he says in Isaiah 49, that salvation will go to the ends of the earth. So their mission, their work, is not to sit on a throne. It is not to judge other people. It is not a position of of glory and authority and power and ruling, but rather their job, their, their task at this moment is to be a witness unlike what they had hoped to be, which was a a, a grand and royal advisor, instead they find themselves in the position of the royal herald, tasked with going and proclaiming the good news that the Messiah has accomplished his work and that salvation is offered to all who will place their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, God the Son. Luke 24, 47 uh, explains this well, as Jesus also says in the Great Commission in the Gospel of Luke. He says, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name, in the name of Jesus, to all the nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you with what my father has promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered on high. And there's an important thing that we see both in Luke and we see in Acts. And, and, and Luke is wanting to make very clear that we understand this, that this work, that our work is to be a witness to all of humanity, all of creation about Jesus. But we can only do that through the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives who dwells in the hearts of all believers. See, this is the important thing to remember when we think about the Great Commission, when we think about our work is our work is not about us. Our work is not what we do by our strength and our gifts and our talents and our whatever, but our work, what we have been called to do, is intended to be a God-filled, Holy Spirit-empowered work of God through us so that the power of God may go forth from us so that the nations might hear the good news of the gospel and because of what the Holy Spirit stirs up in their hearts, they come to believe. Thank you. This is the work. This is the work that the apostles were given, and this work is not over. One of the neatest things about the book of Acts is the book of Acts should end to be continued. Because the work of God in humanity and on this earth is going to continue until Christ returns. And we are part of that story. We are a part of the church and the church age. And therefore, the task of the apostles and the task of the disciples in Acts 1-8 becomes our task as well. Our job is not to rule. 
We should not be concerned about political things and, and, and having and, and us being in office and us being in charge and us making the laws and telling what people what to do and what not to do. Not that we should not vote our faith as we come into an election year and vote our values, but that is not the work. The work is not us to be judging people. And to be constantly condemning those around us to creating a a feeling of hostility and insensitivity towards other people. That's not the work. The work is to be a witness. The work is to tell people the good news. This word witness that that we get here, this word idea, comes from the word that we have of martyr. And and, And believe it or not, the word witness here predates what our understanding of the word martyr But understand that the word martyr meant to be a witness. To put everything on the line so that people would see and understand and hear what the good news of the gospel is. That is our job. Not necessarily to be martyrs, but to make sure people know that they have heard the good news. Now, there's other other comfort in all of that. You know what your job is not? To convince them to make them to believe, to sell them on the idea that Jesus is the Christ. We are witnesses. We are not vendors. We are not selling anything. But we are sharing what God has done. Now the apostles, and and, and this is very real and very significant to them because for them, they really had seen it. They really had seen the the resurrected Jesus. They really had experienced and heard from him and taught from him. And he's saying, what you have seen and what you have heard, you need to go tell. But here's the thing, and and really think about this for a moment. We've seen. We've heard. And so we too are called to go tell. I would wager that every person in this room who claims to be a follower of Jesus has at some point in their life really, truly experienced the presence of God, the love of God, the salvation of God, the work of God, the power of God in your life. Have you not? I hope so. Because if anything, there was a point in your life where you were maybe sitting here or somewhere else and someone was sharing the gospel with you and something came alive. And suddenly there was a point in your life where something got real tight in your chest, maybe. Or you got real uncomfortable. Sister here at a rap concert, I'll never forget that as long as I'm alive, just for the record. We've had someone get saved in our church at a rap concert. My ministry is complete. But there was a point in time where someone shared the good news with you and something happened. And whether you were a kid at vacation Bible school, a teenager at camp, a young adult in, in, in a church or in a college ministry or an older adult through a, a time visiting and you know, someone visiting your home or a casual conversation at a coffee shop, somebody shared the good news with you and something began to stir in your heart. And that something that began to stir in your heart said, I am a sinner. And I've been separated from God my whole life. And I need to surrender myself to Jesus and I need to be saved from my sins. It happened at some point. And let me tell you, if that's happened in your life and I pray to God that it has, then God has done something powerful in your life. 
and you have passed from death to life, that you were made new, that you received the Holy Spirit, and you have something to share with people. And it doesn't need to sound smooth. And it doesn't need to be with wild, convincing statements. But is the truth that God has done a work in your life. And we are called to be witnesses of these things. So let's get out and do the work. I always, I always have to laugh as we get to the last part of our passage, verses 9 through 11, because I get it. You know, as we get to those kind of last passages and, and Jesus has, has, has kind of corrected their thinking, he's, he's, he's adjusted their attitude, we might say, and said, listen, you're focused on thrones and judging, but I need you to be a witness and heralding the good news of the gospel. That's your job. And then when they find it, and I can only assume that they finally get it. They're finally like, oh, okay, there's still work to be done. We still need to get this message out. We need to go tell people that we've seen you alive. Okay, so I just feel like, and it doesn't say it, and I understand that, that they finally get it, and that's now Jesus is like, okay, I can go now. And so it says, you know, he says this, that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And it says, and after he had said this, he was taken up away from them as they were watching. And man, can you imagine that scene? That he says these last final words, and, and I don't know what it looked like. We all had our picture in our head, like, you know, probably if you're like me, and it's probably because of paintings and the Renaissance or whatnot, we just kind of all assume that Jesus kind of did this. And then he just started floating backwards, right? Anybody else see? I mean, we got the paintings, right? Like, isn't there a painting called The Ascension? I'm not artsy. Laney, do you know? I don't know. Fair enough. She's the artsy one in my family. And he, and he ascends. And, I, and, and let's be honest, every single person in this room would have been doing the same thing. Mouth hanging open, watching Jesus ascend, and the clouds go by. And I don't know about you, but I'd stay there a little while longer. Now, it might be the nystagmus, and I don't see too good, but I'd have been making sure I didn't see a thumb behind the clouds or something. Like, I'd have been like, is that it? Is he coming back? And I'd have been staring up there. And that's what they did. And that's the scene. And I cannot fathom there was any other response to seeing Jesus ascending into heaven and being covered up by the clouds than this. And then suddenly two people appear with them. Dressed in white, we can only assume that they are angels. And they look at the people and they say this. They say, and these are one of those great questions of the Bible, might I add. And they said, men of Galilee... Why are you standing here looking at the heavens? Well, we know why. There's a darn good reason why they're standing there looking up at the heavens right now. Because that's where Jesus just went. And now, I've never seen anything like that. And they got to see that, and they're there. And, but you know what? There's a reason why those angels asked that, asked that question. Because was that their job? Was there, did Jesus say, I need you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth, but first I want you to just stare up in the heavens for a couple days? Did he say, did he say that? And he goes, but hey, I, but you know, you can chill here for a little bit. See, the angels are there because, listen, they're saying, hey, you've been given a job. Go do the job. Dad's in the room. Have you ever asked your kids to do something? And then they just started not doing it. 
Hey, I need you to go take this. This is the big one in my house. Hey, I need you to take this downstairs. We have a basement. We have shelves in the basement. They've got like cooking stuff and all that stuff down there. Sometimes, you know, the gadgets. And so we'll bring them up when we need them. But then I'm lazy and I don't want to take them back down. So I'll be like, hey, take that downstairs. And the kids will do this. Oh, okay. Hey, now. Oh, oh, now. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's what the angels are doing here. They're like, why are you staring up in the heavens? God's giving you a job. God's giving you a task. Stop staring at the sky. Don't worry. He's coming back. In fact, did you see how he left? Good. He'll come back that way. Go. Go to Jerusalem. Go. Get ready. Prepare yourselves because God has given you a task. And he is going to give you the things that you need for that task, but you need to go do that task. We cannot spend our days, back to us, we cannot spend our days staring at the clouds waiting for Jesus' return. We cannot waste our our lives obsessing over things that we have no control over, trying to figure out blood moons and... and, and, uh, Israeli-Palestine relations and what that means about the Antichrist and who's coming and who's not and when and how many numbers and how many sevens and how many eyeballs, all that nonsense. Don't waste your life trying to figure out when Jesus is going to roll back those clouds and return. He's coming. That's all you need to know. On the contrary, we must be about the work that God has given to his church. We need to be witnesses of all that God has said and done through Jesus. So that when Jesus returns, and he will return, we may be found faithful. It's an important thing to remember. We are not found faithful staring into the sky. I would dare argue we are not found faithful if all we do is read our Bible. Reading your Bible is good. Reading your Bible is important. But if that's all you do, that's not what he called us to do. We are not found faithful if all we do, all we do is understand every nook and cranny of theology. We are found faithful when we are being a witness to the good news of the gospel and what we say and in what we do and in how we share it. Now that means we need to read our Bibles and that means we need to study the word and understand what it's saying. And that means we do good things and we do a lot of, and we live a life that, that glorifies God in our behavior, but we are accomplishing the work that God has given us when we do all these things in order to be a witness. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, starting in verse 42. The Lord said, this is Jesus, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager? His, ma- that, um, manager, his, ma- his master will put in charge of his household and servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom the master finds doing the job when he comes. Brothers and sisters, we don't know when he's coming. 
fact, if you continue on in that passage, it warns against the idea of thinking, oh, he's a long way off. <coughs> I can hang out for a little bit. I can drink the wine. I can talk mean to the people. I can, you know what? I can be the master for a little while. And then I'll get those things sorted. I'll get everything fixed and squared away before the master arrives. No, we don't know when the master's coming. So let us be found faithful, doing what God has called us to do, making, making sure that we have ministered to other people in the way that God has called us to minister to other people, and that is by being a witness. We talk a lot about Lottie Moon and the International Mission Board here, and I think there's a great analogy there, a great thing that, that our, our mission board says to us on how we can be a faithful witness. It says, first, pray. We need to pray, and I'm not just talking about praying for our missionaries or praying for lost people groups all over the world, but we need to be praying for the people in our lives that need to hear the gospel, that need to experience Jesus on a personal level and have a relationship with him. We need to pray for them and pray for us that we might be bold in our witness to them. The second thing is we need to give. We need to give to things like Lottie Moon and, and Annie Armstrong and our, and our regular tithes and offerings because that enables the church to do ministry which includes the things that you will probably invite people to that will start those conversations that will help you be a witness. And we as a church take concerted efforts to be a witness in our community, whether that's camp or vacation Bible school or going on mission trips. So we pray, we give, we go. And yeah, that does mean getting on an airplane and going to Brazil or getting in a van and going to Indianapolis or Oneida or whatnot, but it also means going across the street and inviting the neighbor that we have known for 15 years to come to church or to come to our house for a Bible study or even just to come to our house for a cookout that we can start talking about things like Jesus and church and our relationship with the Lord. We pray, we give, we go, we send. We recognize that there are people in our church that God is raising up to be evangelists and missionaries to set us apart their life, to maybe pastor a church, maybe go overseas, maybe start a, a ministry that even goes beyond the scope of just Tunnel Hill Baptist Church. Maybe it's to go into another community in a new place and, 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 and start a church or even go in and support a church that, that's suffering and that, that needs strong people to come and do ministry there. We pray, we give, we go, we send. We welcome. And one of the ways that we're a witness is when, say like at this point in time in history, and we know that our county is about to get overrun with new people because of new jobs, that we're here. And we're here with a welcoming face and a welcoming heart. And we point them to Jesus. See, we've called to be a witness, but guys, there are so many different ways that we can be a witness. And we need to prayerfully consider where is our part in the work that God has given the church. And then we need to get about that work. Because we have good news. And we have not reached the ends of the earth yet. If you are with us today, hopefully as I've talked, You've heard the gospel and you've recognized that, that, that the good news that we have to share is that we are all sinners, 
that we have fallen short of God's glory, but Christ came that he not only lived a perfect life, but he died on the cross for our sins. And as we have talked about quite a bit today, he rose from the grave and he is alive even today. And the Bible says that if you will place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you will be saved. In fact, put simply, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we invite you into that relationship with Jesus by believing in Jesus, that he is God in the flesh who dwelled among us, and invite you into a relationship with him. If that is your heart today, I would invite you. I'll be standing right up front. I'd love to share just a little bit more with you about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But you ain't got to go to me. There are people all throughout this room, maybe someone you know that can share the gospel with you. But if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, but you've not really been about the work of being a witness, I want to challenge you today. How do you pray, give, go, send, and welcome? How do you be a witness for Christ? These steps are up here. And if you need to take, go to the Lord and you need to say, God, I need you to show me how to do that, I invite you to do that. But you can do it from your pew. But I want to challenge you today. Don't leave today still staring up at the clouds. But ask yourself this day, if God has called me to be a witness, and I know he has, how do I witness and with whom do I witness today? Let us pray together. My God, my exceeding joy. <coughs> Lord, we thank you so much for today. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a task to accomplish. And Lord, that you have called us to do something. And God, I praise you that we look out at this congregation and there's all sorts of different types of people. And God, I just praise you that, that, that all of us have different uh, talents and strengths, different personalities and characters, and that you have called every person here to be a witness, but in different ways. <coughs> God, I pray today that for every single one of us today, Lord, that you would put a burden on our heart to be that witness for you. And that you would begin to reveal to us what it means to be that witness in our life and in our context. Father God, for some of us, I pray today was that witness. And that even now they are ready to surrender their lives to Jesus and give their hearts to you. Lord, I pray that they would not wait one more day. But Lord, that they would see that Jesus is the Christ. That he rose from the grave. And that they would surrender to him as, Lord, as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we ask all of these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.